guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, Registered Nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast. Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc. Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is. I don't even know what we do. This season's podcast is sponsored by Exhale Coffee, the UK's first coffee sourced and roasted for health and performance. It's organic and tested free from mycotoxins and pesticides, and one cup of Exhale Coffee independently tested to have the same antioxidants as 12 planets of blueberries or 55 oranges. That is literally insane. It's also optimized for polyphenols and two cups provides 20% of your RDA of vitamin B3 necessary for energy production and brain support. So how do they do this? Through their unique process involving nine different independent lab tests, lots and more of coffee's natural healthy compounds while keeping out the bad. And is overseen by Dr. Ruthie, NHS medical doctor and Alex Manos, functional medicine practitioner. For those who are trying to avoid caffeine, they also offer a decaf, which is the same coffee that's been decaffeinated by the chemical-free mountain water process, which only uses pure spring water from the highest mountain in Mexico to gently extract 99.9% of caffeine and leave all the healthy polyphenols in place. For those who sometimes feel anxious from caffeine, polyphenols have been shown to reduce anxiousness so people who previously couldn't drink coffee can often drink a high polyphenol coffee like Excel's so you can be jitter and crash free. That's actually so amazing. So many people avoid caffeine because it gives them the jitters. We we love caffeine. Um, so we welcome I mean, it. Yeah, this <laughs> this version of caffeine is highly impressive. <laughs> yes. And they also equally prioritize their impact on the planet and only use plastic-free compostable packaging. They're B Corp pending and donate 2% of all sales to charities restoring the natural environment. So you can head to xlcoffee.com. And you can opt to either have your coffee ground for medium or fine for espresso or have it in whole bean. Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. We're here with Laura Willoughby, co-founder of Club Soda. Hi, Laura. Hi. Very excited to have you on. Um, We actually haven't discussed um, kind of alcohol and drinking on this wellness podcast before. So we're really excited to fire questions away. Well, um, I should ask you, why not? Why have you <laughs> talked about alcohol before? Surely you can't talk about wellness. I know. And I feel like there's this like misconception, um, you know, that nutritionists and dietitians shouldn't be able to sit and have a glass of wine or drink because that's not healthy kind of thing. Um, but I will say this, since having my baby, who is now nine months, I've never craved a glass of wine more. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's interesting because often when you do go to a nutritionist or a health professional who does you know, a fitness instructor or anything like that, they actually skirt around alcohol and don't talk about it. So I don't it's, think it's that nutritionists shouldn't drink. It's just that we we often leave it as the elephant in the room when we do yeah. We talk about solids and not liquids. <laughs> so, so true. Um, I want to hear all like an introduction and how, what what is club soda and what you do, but um there's like just to answer your question before I feel like there's like almost like it's not in our remit 
to talk because mm-hmm. like even like when we deal with one-to-one clients and stuff like that like I've had experiences where people come with um maybe some like alcohol issues and we just always like it's like a safeguarding like we refer elsewhere because it's not within our remit because it's not something that we really learn how to deal with there's like a lot of layers and I feel like it's an interesting topic to unpick. I mean but that's just interesting to start with because of course if somebody's saying you know I'm worried about my drinking so I'm I'm looking at my nutrition as a whole and I want to tackle my drinking within it they're not saying I've got an addiction that might need a clinical intervention are they They're, they're they're saying this is part of my diet um that not only I'm uncomfortable with but also probably affects the other things that I eat and the way yes. that I move my body. So and I think that's different. What like yeah. I think totally feel confidence in tackling that one. It's like the, oh, I'm not willing to give up my three glasses yeah. of wine oh, a night, cool. where it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna leave that one because it's not yeah. Well, that, that just <laughs> opens a whole other can of actions that I want to mm. deal with right now. okay well let's we'll jump into all of that I know we're gonna have so much fun discussing this but um I'd love to hear about you and you know what what is club soda and just a bit about yourself yeah so uh club soda started in 2015 and we are uh we help people to drink more mindfully and live well so our goal isn't to tell people what that their their goal should be um, that that's up to people to decide for themselves whether that's cutting down you know trying to re-evaluate your relationship with alcohol or even going alcohol free I'm alcohol free myself which is where all of this started so I gave up uh, 10 years ago next month actually which is quite amazing if you'd said to me 10 years ago that mm. I'm just going to drink again because I wouldn't like want to I would have laughed at you and also secretly wished it to be true um, so uh, so yeah so it all came out of that experience and realizing that I mean you guys nutritionists that there's lots of ways to do diet collectively you can join all sorts of slimming clubs and communities but there wasn't anything at the time for people who wanted to change their drinking habits and so I wanted to create that space because you know we get pissed together so why should we get sober alone right so (laughs) um so you know I wanted to to recreate those good behavior change communities um for drinking that's amazing Yeah, amazing. And that's so true what you said about community and then doing it on your own. Like and I a think... superfood of behaviour change community, you mm-hmm. know, being being in it with other people, holding yourself accountable, learning from others, um, realising that the sky doesn't fall in if you go to the pub for an evening and don't drink. Really important. And you can only do that by talking to other people. Yeah. And you know what I hear a lot? It, I don't hear it a lot, but like my husband, for instance, he'll say that like in the business world and when they go to meetings, you kind of do have to go and have a drink and I'm like well you don't have to like you could have a fizzy water or something he's like no like you'll get looked at like you are weird and I find that all because it's like that pressure that we don't like to admit that we give into but it's very much there still and if you really think about it it verges on workplace bullying isn't it because yeah no matter what decision yeah. you've made for your own health work is expecting you to drink and I've heard all sorts of stories about younger people entering the workplace in the city of London who have been persuaded by their boss to drink when they've said no lots of times mm-hmm. and lose the company laptop which is a sackable offense at the end of the evening wow. and, you know if you're particularly if you're junior and you're pressured to drink by you know your boss that's actually quite a big issue um, I do quite a bit of work with the law sector because they've done over the last couple of years there's been a number of reports that show that some of the sexual harassment within the law sector is directly correlated to the very boozy occasions that they have 
And that sector is now beginning to rethink, you know, actually people want to spend more time at home. So why should corporate hospitality involve getting drunk until midnight and staggering mm. home when people want a better work-life balance? Why are you encouraging your staff to do something which they may not consent to or is quite unhealthy? That's, you know, you spend all of that time on wellness weeks and, you know, giving people gym memberships and all of that, mm. but you still expect them to drink. I think there's a shift happening and it's slightly generational as well. But, but you know, once you begin to peel back the layers of, of the role that alcohol has in our society and some of the expectations, which if you were to apply to other things, like, you know, being forced to eat cake in vast quantities after work, you so would just true. think that was bonkers, right? Mm, yeah, it really is. Um, we, we I do have a, yeah, a big collective set of, um, of myths and stories we like to, to say about alcohol that justify our drinking, but really hide some really bad behaviors that, that make a lot of people very unhappy. Do you think um, this, like I live in the UK now, but I'm American. Do you think there's a difference in the culture in America versus the UK because the drinking age is different? Like you can enter the workforce before you're legal to drink. But like also at the same time, and we know from like diet behaviors, like if something's off limits and it makes you want it more and there's, I don't know, like, do you think that there's a difference with like the drinking age or have you seen that or spoken to anyone about well, it? Um, everyone loves to talk about cultural differences and they, people in Britain de- definitely talk very wistfully about, um, oh, if only we drank like the French or the Italians that somehow we think their drinking culture is better than ours and therefore more manageable, but actually the the rate of deaths from alcohol are are the same. Um, And that's similar in the States. And so, yes, there may be some some differences in how how people drink when they start, but I talk to a lot of people who don't start till they're 21 and then it really ramps up really heavily. Um, There's all sorts of social pressures that come to bear depending on where you end up in your life I think you know people like Millie Gooch who runs Sober Girl Society she was a competitive dancer and didn't take up drinking until she went to university but then it you know then the pressure was on and it was and it was there and real and once you start drinking it becomes quite difficult to stop so we like to hide ourselves in the fact that one culture is better than another but ultimately Mm. our relationship with alcohol is very individual but definitely very enabled by the society we're in Um, there's there are some differences like in the states you know a bar is definitely where you go to drink whereas the lines are far Mm. more fuzzy here like everywhere is where you go to drink (laughs) yeah that's just because we have like public like rules like laws like you get you can get a fine if you walk down the street with like an open can like an open container law is a massive fine in america in certain states whereas you can wheel a a suitcase into 10 downing street with no problem so here we go but also it's i mean there's a different relationship with prescription drugs as well in the states which 100 percent go alongside or may compensate for or 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 so and also um you know um alcoholic is a identity here not a medical condition whereas alcoholics got um, a legal status in the states and is is perceived very differently so like the alcoholic word is like nobody wants that here in the UK it it feels very Mm. uncomfortable whereas there's a lot of pride in it in in the states and so there are that there are there are small differences but ultimately we're all people with bodies and alcohol affects our bodies in very similar ways and we like to think we're some special snowflake but I tell you what we're not we we Mm. think 
if we think we can manage alcohol better than others, probably not. It's just hiding something else. So, yeah, completely. I am. Um, if you don't mind me asking, why did you make a conscious decision to give up alcohol completely, or did you kind of just it was it was ongoing and you thought actually I really I'm enjoying not drinking. I'm going to keep this up. No, I'd like to say that I made some really positive, amazing lifestyle choice before things got too bad. But I was I was in a job that I wasn't enjoying. I mm-hmm. very much identify with the job that I do. I've got a politics background. So, you know, uh, being being in public service is what I did. And I ended up in a job that I just no one cared if I turned up, which sounds brilliant. Right. But absolutely. <laughs> um really um broke me really and so my drinking went up I was always a big drinker I'm my father's daughter but my drinking really went up because I could go off for boozy lunches with people and all of that sort of stuff and I was beginning to frighten myself I was being a real dickhead and I you know had all these amazing opportunities and somehow in my mid-30s I began to to, to to drink all of that amazing stuff that I'd done um over the years away and I knew I had to stop, um, but um, it sort of, um, I knew I had to stop quite, uh, you know, even in my early thirties when my dad died and drink was the reason why he died. I sort of knew that at some point I'd probably have to give it up because of my father's daughter. But I did that thing, which also happens with diet, right? Which is when you know you're about to do a diet or you have to give something up. I, I like, I drank all the alcohol as if somebody was going to take all the alcohol in the world away and I had to get as much of it as possible. <laughs> I know like all or cake, nothing right I know yeah. cake, but um it, you know you you feel you, you can see the end in sight and that somehow you would have to give up but I then began to really frighten myself and I and I'd I'd maybe like a lot of people I'd had quite a lot of books about changing drinking on my bookshelf but never really read any of them I'd taken the covers off so I could read them on the tube but still never really read them some of them were even covered in red wine I, I felt very ashamed to say um, and so I decided that really going and finding somewhere where I could spend the day focused on it, put a line in the sand was what I needed to do as somebody who learned better that way rather than through reading. So I accidentally put in place a number of really good behavior change techniques in hindsight that meant that that when I did it, I, I, I had a day where I absolutely focused on changing drinking. And then the course was so shit and so unethical, I came out so angry. And as somebody who's who's political and you know thinks that services should be good and you know ethical, particularly when you're dealing with people who may be dependent drinkers, um, that anger spurred me and it just carried me on. Um, so yeah, get angry, folks. That's a good way to give up drinking. <laughs> it's a good motivation. Uh, out of also- curiosity, what was unethical about the course? Was um, it shameful? Well, it um it was the Alan Carr easy way to change drinking so I'm not sure if people have done the smoking course giving up smoking slightly different to giving up drinking they put you in a room and basically read the book to you um somebody's wrote learned it but there were people in the room who were dependent drinkers whose bodies were physically dependent on alcohol and it's really dangerous to suddenly give up um and they went out the room and were told not to drink again and they needed more than that. They needed support. They needed signposting. They needed more than to have a book. Mm. Them. And I sat in that room and just went, I cannot believe that they've just sent these people out into the world without any, any, any care. Without yeah, it's like... knowledge that they could go into seizures, without any community to follow it up. Um, you know, um, spoken at by a guy who 
I found patronizing beyond belief. But anyway, can you imagine I sat in a, a room for a whole day just steaming and being angry and then came out and and then for me I got very addicted very quickly to how much energy I had and how good I felt um and like within weeks of puffiness in my face had gone down because you know it shows quite a lot in some people in the face and and so the changes happened quite quickly but I also gave up with somebody else at the same time with someone else in a new relationship with so I had a buddy so to speak mm. and so a number of accidentally good things I've told my friends I've given myself some accountability um and I I also had I was volunteering on the Olympics in three months time and I guess that I was so excited about doing that and was obviously also quite worried that I wouldn't be able to get into the Olympic Park for 6am in the morning um I guess that was a focal point for me as well in terms of you know, having something that I really wanted to be sober for. And I guess yeah. that's the learning that we've taken in to Club Soda through our courses and our book on how to be a mindful drinker, which is that, you know, if you're always focusing on the thing that you're taking away, you'll spend all your time thinking about the thing you're taking away. If you begin to think about the life you want to lead and where alcohol may fit into it in the longer term or may not fit into it or what you'd like to explore, how your life could be without alcohol, then, then you're more likely to succeed. And at the end of the day, it's not going to do you any harm to not drink for a while and to give it a whirl. Yeah, it sounds like um, there's a lot of visualization techniques in that, like visualizing like what that looks like and what you're working towards and who you are as that person who's a more mindful drinker compared to yeah. who you might be in presently or in the present. present. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, it's amazing, again, once you begin to think about it, how much our identity might be tied up with even the type of drink that we're known for drinking. And, you know, the number mm. of people I speak to go, well, I was always the party girl and la, 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 la. And and drinking created that persona that 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 is actually very hard to go okay what am I like without that and it does take practice you know if you've been used to socializing without drinking going to parties for the first time going to social occasions in the pub feels weird you haven't got this thing in your hand but Mm. it doesn't feel weird forever so you know um you need to practice not drinking yeah definitely and I think obviously this applies more so when like you know you're in your late teens maybe early 20s but there is that you know it does give you a little bit of confidence it helps you to relax and you know particularly if you're an anxious person you're going to a party and you're meeting a load of people you don't know um that is a little bit of a relaxation confidence boost that you've got in your hand there right yeah and but we're taught that as well we're taught Mm. that's confidence boost rather than you know Uh, through our teenage years being taught other ways to be confident meeting strangers I mean it's amazing really isn't it meeting new people is one of the most amazing things that you can do in this yeah it's the best thing in the world (laughs) we've managed to reduce it to something that people think they can only do if they're half cut I mean that's that's actually really terrible isn't it it's sad yeah absolutely under 25s are drinking less than anybody else and they're partly drinking less because they're far more conscious their mental health and also on how alcohol affects anxiety. So you talk about, you know, being taught that, that alcohol will get rid of anxiety in a social situation, but it, but the, the anxiety it gives back to you is like 20 fold if you, if you oh, gosh, yeah. anxiety, yeah. and even if you don't suffer with anxiety, how it makes you feel the following three days at least. Yeah. Oh my God, I, the hang, anxiety is the anxiety. Oh my God. Again, we, 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 we're taught that you know um 
class A drugs will give you a three, you know, you'll, you'll feel real mm. comfortable on day three. Well, actually, nobody really goes, well, actually, you know, actually, I feel terrible for three days after drinking, but in different ways, you know, the following day, I've got a headache and a hangover. And then day after I'm feeling lethargic. And I, you know, you eat on average 3000 more calories with a hangover than you would if you wouldn't, you know, mm. um, I've not had a KFC for 10 years. I mean, how amazing is that? <laughs> oh my God. I, can, I need to tell my boyfriend that he has a KFC, like addiction. <laughs> no, his is just like an everyday. <laughs> This is the thing with alcohol. It's not just the alcohol. It's the knock-on effects it has on your other lifestyle choices. And we know that, you know, wellness is made up of a number of things. And, you know, alcohol can affect your sleep, your mood, your energy, your diet. You know, sleep. There isn't a part of you that alcohol doesn't affect. It affects your eyesight. It affects your hearing. It affects your teeth. It affects your hair. And we we focus on the hangover and go, oh, I had a hangover, but I only mm. have a hangover once a week. But actually, the they, there's lots of people who say they don't get hangovers. But that doesn't mean that the damage isn't being done regardless. Just because yeah. you, you've got used to feeling that lethargic doesn't mean that 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 there, that there isn't damage going on. Um, yeah. My blood sugar level was really high when I um, first gave up. Uh, drinking and I managed to, so I was nearly pre-diabetic and I managed to bring that right down that's great um all sorts of things that that alcohol affects um in your health let alone your social circumstances your family relationships the way you spend money um all of that stuff I mean if you could bundle that all up into a pill right you'd probably <laughs> be able to sell that for quite a lot of money I'm sure you would I think <laughs> yeah, you found your new business venture <laughs> on the sleep thing which is so interesting going back to what you said about generations um having different relationships and actually the younger generation being a bit more mindful of their drinking and their mental health which I love I think that's like a great move like positive move in the right direction I find that our parents so my parents are between like Mm, they're maybe 60 I forget how old they are sorry mom if you're listening um she's just like always like 50 in my mind but I think I know what you mean um and my partner's mom parents are the same age and I feel like um they have a very different relationship with alcohol and I don't know if it's generational um my dad is about I want to say 15 20 years sober um but he's the only person I know that has like actually cut out alcohol completely but one thing I always hear from that generation is like, oh, a glass of wine helps me go to bed at night because when you hit that like 50 year old mark, especially for women going through menopause, your sleep is really disrupted. And there's like this myth that like alcohol helps put you to sleep, but it just makes you sleepy. But the quality of sleep that you have is absolutely rubbish. And it's like this fake thing that like, it's like you pass out, but you're not in a nice, yeah, you don't get any REM. like REM sleep and like the mm. quality of sleep is terrible. It has knock on effects the next day. Like you said, Laura, about everything from feeling lethargic and, you know, your body feeling it's, strained. It's terrible to get you to sleep. And actually, you know, sleep's one of the biggest health issues, you know, that people talk about at the moment. And you can go to a doctor and talk about it and they don't ask how much you drink in the evening. And of course, it really does affect how much you sleep. But let me come back to your point about generational stuff, because I'm 47. So I, um, I describe myself as being the Ladette generation. So not far off your parents, but the Ladette generation was, you know, we went to university in the early to mid 90s. Drinking was all about equality. We would drink as much as the lads. We would always drink pints. Um, and it was a sign of equality to, to, to really just hit it as hard 
So there's lots of politics involved in drinking, right? So for us, it was an equalities thing, but an, another set of other things happened around the same time. The price of wine went down tremendously. Supermarkets competed on the price of wine. And of course, no longer was it acceptable for a man to go to the pub in the evening and leave the wife at home to look after the kids because both parents were working. So what happened is, is for people who had children in, in, the, in the early to mid 90s, um, it was encouraged that you would stay home together, watch TV and smash through a bottle of wine. And that was cheap and easy to do. And, and then socialising became more gender neutral. And so we all went out and socialised in mixed gender groups or, you know, like we were as students, we went out and, you know, drank as much as the boys. And so you've got and then if when you enter the workplace to be seen to be equal, you had to, to drink and go and do all the drinking that the men men had done. So there's a whole lot of stuff that's tied up in, you know, equalities, but also food prices and supermarkets and all of that sort of stuff all around the same time. That means that my generation and your parents' generation have got the highest rates of, of issues with alcohol of any generation. And I suspect your generation drinks a bit less because they've been put to bed by parents that stink of Chardonnay every evening. So, and have seen some very disastrous parental parties probably that made you feel really embarrassed. So it's not a surprise that there's been some generational shift, but, you know, technology is also, you know, contributed to mental health in the younger generation. And, but also technology has contributed to you talking together about mental health as well. So you know, these things aren't isolated. How we learn, what we gain from each other, what we learn from the generations before and from each other is really important. And how we use things like alcohol, you know, prescription drugs, um, illegal drugs, and all of those things are all tied up in all of that as well. It's a fascinating subject. Um, mm -hmm. Holly Whittaker's got a great book called Quit Like a Woman, where she talks a lot about the, not only the gendered way that in which we drink and how that's changed, but also how... Um, alcohol services and, and places like AA have, are very designed you know a long time ago and by men for men and aren't necessarily very useful for women as well so you know there's that you know gender politics everywhere folks <laughs> yeah definitely it's a really interesting point to touch on just going back as well to what you said about like when we were talking about how it affects different parts of our body I really remember doing studying our master's Barry I don't know if you remember this we we study quite a lot of alcohol and the effects yeah. of it on the brain and the body and I really do remember after that module I think I, I didn't quit drinking but I significantly kind of took down how much I was taking or taking drinking um and pretty much before I fell pregnant I just wasn't drinking at all I would go out to social events and you know have my kombucha and not bother with the rest of the stuff because it actually made me feel rubbish as well like you said but really studying and understanding the effects it can have on the brain long term it really, really hit home. And I remember growing up as well, you know, everyone says, oh, it's better to just drink socially rather than binging. And you'd be like, oh, whatever, they're old and they don't know what they're talking about. It's so much more fun to binge drink. <laughs> and then you kind of realise, actually, it's having this horrible effect. So now when I said at the beginning I've never craved a glass of wine more it's because you know I'm exhausted and I'm a mum now and I think oh, I just want to sit back and relax with a friend and have a chat over a glass of wine and that's a very different way of me looking at alcohol than you know five years ago and you'd probably also feel just relaxed and just as happy if you found a nice alcohol-free wine that you liked very very uh, true <laughs> you know we often feel relaxed as we open the bottle not 
because it takes yeah it's the whole affect your brain we feel relaxed just as soon as yeah it's psychological it's the way that our brain's been wired um over the years of drinking it's the social conditioning we've got because alcohol is ubiquitous and is part of our 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 cultural story and we, Mm. we tell lots of stories around it to justify our drinking including you know laughing at each other in the workplace when we've got a hangover the following day so you know what do you think about the the rise of like alcohol free beverages like non-alcoholic gins and beers and stuff like that so um I'm a big fan but then we did open an alcohol free off license over December January oh cool incredibly popular but I think I would say this to you the important thing is 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 they're just drinks um and we drink drinks throughout the day what these drinks do is a few things. One is they, they're designed um, for an adult palate. So they're not the sweet drinks you would drink during the day to hydrate. They are designed to bring in some of those flavors that people recognize. Um, they tend to be lower in calorie and lower than sugar. So for the evening, they're great. So they allow you to create that, that space when you finished work for the day. But exactly what you said about at the end of the day, after you put the baby to bed, having some space mm. for yourself. It, it fills that that need we have for a reward which mm. alcohol, you know, we're taught to reward ourselves with alcohol so um, it fills that space for reward because it feels special it feels different to what you've been drinking all day and it allows you to do another key behavior change techniques which is to substitute one thing for another yeah. so in words you might substitute a high calorie dessert for a low calorie calorie dessert you can do the same with an alcoholic um, wine and an alcohol free wine or beer or whatever and still um, do some of those things that you like, which is to have a reward, you know, sit in front of the TV with something that feels different, has a taste that you recognize and so on. Um, And then it does another really important thing, which we shouldn't underestimate, which is feeling included in social situations is really important. Mm, Absolutely. You feel excluded because, oh, I'll just have, oh God, I'll I'll just have a lemonade. Yeah. feel as special as saying, well, I'd like a really nice cocktail or I'd like a good beer or something like that. So it allows you to feel included in a social situation and don't underestimate how important that is for people. Um, So for me, it allows people to be, you know, having a quality of experience when you're out, because that's what you want when you're out. You want a nice time with your friends. You want a really nice experience. And, you know, for me, that is about having a glass of alcohol-free wine with my meal or having um, a nice cocktail if I'm in a cocktail bar and being treated the same as everyone else and feeling included. So they're really important. I think so too. And like, I, just cause I've never actually, um, had any of it. Um, like the shop, you could have come and tried everything. We where, have. where is the shop? Well, we're hopefully opening a permanent one near the end of the year, but we, we, we were open from mid December to end of March and you could try Amazing. everything in the shop. We had over a hundred brands and you could have come wow. and tried everything and found your favorite wow. one home. And we had a ton, you know, we had over 25 beers, 25 wines, we had over 50 spirits. So, you know, it was, um, it was an amazing experience. I love helping people find a drink to go home with. Cause it's, for me, that's really important that people find something that they feel fits that reward structure that they can substitute with, um, and that they can feel included. Um, and also that's, you know, the same for people who have never drunk before, you know, so we had lots of Muslim customers, lots of people who don't drink for religious reasons, lots of people who are moderating, who are finding it helpful for them to drink, drink those during the week and save drinking for the, 
time and the place and the people that they enjoy spe- you know spending time with rather than the incidental drinking that we do during the week so yeah so can you order these um at bars like are, are bars now stocking non-alcoholic Absolutely. I think that's great because like mm. you said it's like the social thing and like yeah. so what you said earlier about like when Ash goes to dinners and there's like a business occasion it's like yeah. a pressure to like have a glass of wine in your hand or have a pint or something like it allows you to join in on like the cultural moments without sacrificing your personal goals which I think is really really important because in the same way that we we tell people um when they're making healthy lifestyle changes a lot of time it's about setting boundaries with people um that you spend a lot of time with and like you said Laura like you you told people that you were doing this when you started um cutting back on alcohol you you had you set boundaries with your friends. And so those expectations were managed. Um, I think that's so important and it almost like allows you to set boundaries yet still be included. Um, I I was really lucky or or not lucky depends on how you look at it, but my friends knew that I needed to change my drinking. So the look of relief on their face um, was, uh, you know, um, it was really important actually for me, but for lots of people, they find that social pressure to drink from friends. And I, I'd always say this, and I'd say it about any health goal, which is be really clear what behavior you want from your friends. So Mm. look, I've decided I'm not drinking for a month or, or a year or whatever, it's really important for me I want to try and do this for my health so it'd really help if you wouldn't um you know persist or or try and get me to have a drink and if you've got a health goal let me know how I can help you in return yeah really make that an exchange I think that's so important sorry just to cut in there because I've had experiences where you know it's someone's birthday and if you say you're not drinking to the person whose birthday is it's basically you saying I'm not going to have as good of a time as I could have done and that person takes offense. Yeah. And I, it's, and that's also, you know, culturally hardwired, right? Mm. Yeah. For you need to have a good time. You should be drinking. Yeah. The only good way to accept my hospitality is if you're drinking the really yeah. alcohol that I've brought. Otherwise, you're literally spitting on my face. I mean, yeah. You know, if you're not drinking my Dom Perignon champagne that I've put on, <laughs> rather than going, I want you at my party. Whatever it takes for you to feel comfortable. Time. And it's yeah. up to you to do what you want. God, there's so much about consent here, isn't there? You know, yeah. and how we feel we don't have agency over the decisions that we make. And it, it is quite hard to, to face up to that pressure. And I'm quite lucky. I'm, you know, I'm quite rebellious and outspoken and all of those things. So for me, it became a bit of a challenge and a bit of a laugh. <laughs> but mm. I can really see how for other people, it becomes a really, really difficult conversation with people that you're really close to where you may have only had a drinking relationship with those people I'm gonna bring that up before like the kind of friends that you can hang out with sober and enjoy things without having a drink I feel like are very different friendships that are solely based on like going out and drinking culture and they're just you're less connected to those individuals because alcohol makes things superficial yeah yeah and um and I found that I'm a lot I hadn't noticed the friends that had basically moved away from me because they knew that going out for an evening with me would involve me getting very messy and them not really enjoying themselves so actually if you begin to look at how your friendships develop over time you might find that if you're drinking quite heavily some people just 
you know, absent themselves from your social life and you don't notice it because you're really focused on the people who are drinking. Mm. And I found that what not drinking did was actually freed up a whole ton of time that allowed me to invest those back in friendships. So it was actually quite easy to do like weekends are so long now, right? <laughs> like, not in bed nearly all of Saturday and all of I Saturday. honestly find life so much more wholesome 99.9% of the time without alcohol. Yeah. So, you know, you need to work out what that relationship is for you. But for me, I can now, you know, fit six social engagements into a weekend. That's six friends doing six different types of things. That's far Mm. more exciting. Or I can meet somebody for an hour or an hour and a half after work. And the catch up that you have in that time is far more rich and nuanced and varied and deep than the five hours of getting completely wankered that I used to do. And I can still go home and pack my gym kit and, you know, make a healthy lunch the following days. The control I feel I have over my life is a lot better. So, um, so yeah, there's, you know, there's no harm in giving it a whirl, which is what I always say, you know, and, and see how you feel. And, and certainly if you can get over the three month point, because that's when, you know, your energy comes back after, and you don't need to have drunk much for you to feel the effects of changing your drinking, but um, then, yeah, then then you you can really begin to see how you might want to change your drinking for the long term. Yeah, mm. I think that's really interesting what you said about three months. I like, um, which is another point I wanted to come on to um, about lockdown. So like, I've, I've never been like a massive drinker, to be honest, um, like socially going out, like, but never like at home during the week kind of thing. Um, but during lockdown, um, me and my partner like really cut out alcohol for like the first lockdown um because it just like it wasn't important to us but I know that actually a lot of people had the opposite behaviors um during lockdown but have you seen with like the with I don't know club soda or things like that how has lockdown and the pandemic affected people's drinking behaviors it, it was a real mix people who already had some strategies in place or people who were only ever social drinkers found that they drank less People who didn't have those strategies in place um, drank more. Um, some of the figures are a bit difficult because you lost all of those um, on trade, you know, all those pub and bar sales. And clearly mm-hmm. people translated that to buying in the supermarket. And so it's really hard to tell overall what happened. But clearly some people did drink more and some people didn't. And some people actually cut down and cut out. And so it's, it's a, a far more varied picture. Personally, if I had to go shopping once a week and pick up what I thought would be my booze for a week, it would have been gone quite quickly. So I'm really glad I wasn't drinking. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, what that does say is that, you know, um, clearly to not drink or to moderate your drinking or, you know, take some thought um, if you're somebody who's been drinking quite a lot, and it may well have, and it certainly did scare quite a few people who um, joined Club Soda over that that lockdown period. But um, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's all sorts of interesting things. So for you talk about wanting a glass of wine because you know you're you've been pregnant and you're breastfeeding or whatever. But the pressure on new mums to drink is really high. I mean, you can't buy a baby grow that doesn't, you know, that doesn't say um, I'm the reason why mummy drinks or gin monster or all of those things I mean how awful is that you can't buy a birthday card that doesn't suggest that in order to deal with aging you need to get drunk I mean we are completely surrounded by those pressures Um, and it is really important to be able to take a step back and really look 
um, at what's really happening. And so Sophie, you talked about actually everything that you talked about missing was very situational. It was about the friend. Mm. It was about not having the baby there. It was about sitting and having a long natural mm. relaxed and all those things. So, you know, it's really important that you take that knowledge into whenever you go and drink next and focus on those things that you talked about first and then maybe have some wine rather than seeing wine at the first part of that. Than- yeah, if to be honest, I always opt for kombucha. That's like my oh. more exciting drink that's non-alcoholic. Um, but it's like when it's, everyone I know doesn't drink excessively, but it's like they like to have a drink. And I went out, just an example, I went out with my parents the other night. We took them out, uh, me and my husband and my parents, you know, they like a drink at dinner. And I thought, okay, I'm actually, I am going to opt for the alcoholic version tonight. Because, but it was thinking about it now. It's because they all drink. If they had been drinking fizzy water, I would have been like, yeah, I'll just have a fizzy water as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we're, you know, we're we're influenced by everyone around us mm. and the occasion and all of that sort of stuff. But um, you know, which makes it quite difficult because it's a very social drug. It's mm. very it's very embedded in our society there are adverts for everywhere there's you know like I say birthday cards and baby grows and um and all sorts um and so when you begin to sit back and say I'm not doing this anymore you realize how much your behavior has been influenced by huge amounts of cultural pressure um and you know to to do something the other way is a real act of of rebellion and defiance really yeah, I'd love to get your opinion on something because I talked about this um, recently with a friend at work. Um, but I, um, so my mom's a chef and uh, my parents lived in like wine country in California for a while before I was born. And um, they love wine. My mom's a big wine connoisseur. And, um, but like, not like been, like I've never seen her like in the house during the week, like never have more than two glasses, very much that's her rule. Um, but we were always allowed to drink as kids at the dinner table, but it was like an educational point of view of like, which wines paired with which food and like tasting notes. And I was like 13 and I just thought I was so cool because mom let me have a glass of wine at dinner, but like, she was trying to like educate us to like appreciate it and not see it as like this thing that gets you drunk, but also like how like red wine pairs with this kind of food and if you're having Chinese food maybe opt for like a dry white Riesling (laughs) like I just like these things stick in my head but I actually think like me and my brother grew up to be like not massive drinkers do you think that played a role or because to be like completely frank like we have like a lot of alcoholic genes in our family from both sides of the families so, but yeah, me and my yeah, brother yeah. turned out pretty good yeah well um it's uh it's probably not it, it's so situational and so um you know um you know at the end of the day if people are having a terrible time or feeling depressed and low or you're you're dealing with some trauma or all of those things then we're actually taught that alcohol is the first thing to go to and if if you've got lots of other things going on in your life and you're relatively happy, it's likely that you're more likely to drink less. Um, uh, it, there are no hard and fast rules. You know, lots of people talk about, well, maybe if we we taught people to drink more responsibly from a younger age, that would work. But actually, there's no evidence that shows that either. Um, there are lots of factors at play why uh, you haven't p- picked up um, a lot of wine. But, you know, 
it, there's nothing to say that later on in your life that you won't use that wine knowledge as a cover to to drink more wine than you need to which is Very also true. quite possible so yeah. um but yeah um there's no evidence either way what I would say is at the end of the day you know um alcohol is a poison your body processes it as a poison and the only reason why we can drink small amounts of it is that um is because we make it naturally in our stomach because we ferment you know in in our mm. stomach and you know uh therefore you know um it will affect our body um, and as women it affects our bodies more um the million um women study on cancer shows that for every unit of alcohol a woman drinks we increase our chances of cancer um as does obesity and all the other things so alcohol can also contribute to those and so it's about you know you making a decision about the life that you want to lead and how you you want your health to be and all those sort of things and seeing if you can you know manage how much you drink based on those other things that you want to achieve you know at the end of the day for me alcohol was a complete um intellectual suck it just took my brain away I didn't have mm. the energy to connect with issues and I'm I'm a political creature and I really enjoy picking up the issues and trying to solve problems and it and it and it nearly robbed me of all of that um and it's also a massive time drain um so you know for for individuals it's up to you to work out where you think alcohol is affecting your life and where whether keeping it or, or giving it a wide berth for a while might benefit you and what you might hope to learn from that um but but yes i mean you know i could go through all of the, the horrible things that alcohol does to you but i think ultimately we all know that yeah yeah I mean alcohol you know it's not healthy like you said it is actually identified as a poison in our body and I do really remember learning that on our master's degree as well also um (laughs) I love the high value we put on alcohol as well when actually that's the alcohol is the free bit of the drink that you have it's the natural Mm. byproduct of the brewing process or the or what happens in the vineyard um you know we're, we're drinking the free byproduct um and uh but you can put a very high price on branding <laughs> yeah yeah really I think ignorance is bliss as well and we can't see the effects it's having and you know a lot of the time like with other health issues it's it's too late by the time you think okay maybe I should do something but anyway that's that's a different uh, road we could go down um I want to ask you do you think I mean let's just quickly touch on kind of mindful drinking as in is there such thing as just sitting down and having a nice glass of wine and that being okay um yes if that works for you that's okay but but try not to be like self-delusional and go well I only drink really good quality wine it doesn't matter how much of it I drink the people who tell me that as long as it's organic and low intervention wine yeah. I'm okay. and, I'm like, mm-hmm. and a really good quality it's not yeah. gonna yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's all about it's all about volume it's all about volume it's like when I hear people like oh I drink um you know a skinny lime soda with vodka because that's better than wine because it's less calorific and lower sugar and I'm like okay or it's like when people are like cheers to my antioxidants and it's like you can get antioxidants and so many other things (laughs) you don't have to I I have lots of vitamins the following day well you probably don't absorb most of them because your stomach lining (laughs) is really yeah well so um and those people who run on a hangover and do big gym workouts they think that cures them it's like sweat it out yeah injury is huge um as a result because they've their body's totally dehydrated so you know it's it's up for all of us to take responsibility for understanding how alcohol might affect us what we mean by mindful drinking 
is that A, the decision's yours, so you need to educate yourself, but B, you need to decide the life you want to lead and where alcohol may fit into that. And, you know, for me, I've decided that I've been there, I've done that, I've got the t-shirt, it has nothing left to give me. So Mm -hmm. I'm not really missing anything anymore. I'm getting too much out of life. You guys are way younger than me, right? And so you may decide that you want to save drinking for that occasion when you're with a friend you really enjoy spending time with and you want to have that one-to-one gossip and then you want to drink, but you don't want to drink, you know, the other four nights of the week you know chopping up your uh, glass of wine while you're watching tv when when you are neither with anybody and it's not social and it doesn't feel special or nice so um what i would encourage people to do is to really begin to sit and think about you know ways in which they're unhappy with their drinking the times that they do enjoy drinking the most and the drink that they enjoy the most and try and come up with a plan and it's really interesting that you mentioned Barry that your 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 mum has a rule that she doesn't drink any more than two glasses you know if you are going to moderate your drinking then having rules really helps, you know, not during the week, only on a Friday or Saturday, only at this place with these people. Mm. I definitely won't drink with that person because if I do, I'll end up getting really pissed. You know, that sort of thing um, really helps. It's also worth noting, it can depend on your starting point. I was drinking a lot. I was drinking every other day and I'd got to the point where I was routinely blacking out. I had memory blanks from whenever I went out because once I started, I found it really hard to stop. And women talk about that an awful lot. It was a sign that I was drinking too much, too quickly, too often. And so moderation was never going to work for me in the first instance. Could possibly work for me now, 10 years on, but I'm not that interested in trying. But it does depend on your starting point. And if you're drinking at dangerous and hazardous levels, which I was, then I would suggest that you need to maybe even taper off the alcohol that you're drinking if you feel you may be dependent um so that you can do that safely but you may also find that going alcohol free um for a substantial period of time um will help re-engineer your brain um because it has impacts on your brain hugely whereas you know you've been you know at least nine months alcohol free Sophie haven't you so you <laughs> now about where alcohol fits into your life as a mum and mm-hmm to achieve as a parent um, and therefore where you think alcohol has a place for you and that might be a different role my co-founders still drink but they don't moderate in order to some people say they want to moderate because they they can't imagine going out on a friday and saturday night and not drinking until you've done a fridays you can you can do fridays and saturday nights without drinking you've not got control over your drinking Um, but they don't like drink every Friday or Saturday night in fact they both are alcohol free by default and occasionally have a drink I think UC had one beer when we were on holiday in in Madrid in in a whole 10-day period so you know um, he rarely drinks but will occasionally when he feels the time is right have a drink so there are many ways to live your life and have a relationship with alcohol depending on where you want to be with it. Personally, I think alcohol-free is ace, but you know that's me. Yeah, I I think it was it was well over a year because I I gave up drinking before um, I fell pregnant, and then I was literally breastfeeding every forty-five minutes when I <laughs> when I had Romeo. Um, and then I think I had just three months later. I had we went to I went to a wedding with Barry actually, and I was like, okay, I'm going to let my hair down. Um, but I I really hope this episode makes people look at alcohol and think about alcohol in a different way. 
because what actually this conversation has made me realize is how normal it is to just go out and get drunk mm-hmm. but also like what it's made me realize is there's this whole like um self-improvement movement going on and like being the best version of yourself I think like it's a cult, like in the zeitgeist kind of thing like you know getting up and having your morning routine and journaling mm. and just like putting like just creating this like habitual lifestyle that like is makes you the best version of yourself but somehow like alcohol is left out of that conversation so we're constantly 100%. talking about meditation and mindfulness and exercise and yeah like people if just don't want, inc- yeah if you want the shortcut to the best version of yourself <laughs> I will tell you that um, changing your drinking, cutting out alcohol really, really does it. And gosh, there's so many things I could share with you. For me, giving up drinking was like 100 little epiphanies. I I started drinking at 14, so it's really easy to drink underage um, in my generation. And every emotional experience I had from the age of 14, I dealt with through the lens of alcohol. So I had to do a lot of emotional maturity once I gave up drinking, I had to sit with my feelings. I had to feel sadness. I had to feel happiness. I had to do all of those things without adding alcohol onto the top. It is the biggest, most amazing self-improvement tool I can ever tell you. Um, so you're, you're right. Um, if you're doing all of that other work on yourself and, and hoping that it will, will continue to allow you to drink, it's about time you flip that on in its head and looked at how alcohol could really be the key to help you become the best version of yourself. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. I've like thoroughly, mm. thoroughly enjoyed it. So Me many too. like little nuggets. I feel like now I'm going to like, like force people to listen to and be like, well, listen to this one thing that Laura said. Yeah, well, <laughs> Club Soda is free to join. So people can sign up on joinclubsoda.com and we've got lots of um, reviews of drinks and um, advice and help and then we do uh, we've got our online courses and workshops and hopefully we'll have a alcohol free off license in London for people to visit later this year and I'm really keen to hear from people tell us what you need guys because you know um, there's a generational gap between us us, and it's good to know what's useful for you too and and what's useful for your community yeah definitely we'll we'll link your resources in the show notes of this episode and yeah, really, really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been a delight to talk to you both. Yeah, you thanks, Laura. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review and subscribe. And share with your friends if you love this episode. It really does help us get seen in the chart. You can now also order our Forking Wellness book anywhere books are sold. Order it on Amazon Prime for next day delivery. And Barnes & Noble in America. And if you love the book, we would so appreciate a review on Amazon. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and we really hope you enjoy it. We'll speak to you guys next week. Bye.